everybody and welcome to True Crime Paranormal with the Psychic Sisters. This is Katie Weaver and I'm here with my co-anchor, sister and partner in crime, Christy Brower. Hello. Hello. Hey everybody. We're so happy to be here. This is our second Patreon of the month. And we I just... know and we're doing something fun tonight. I'm, I mean we always do something fun. Yeah. But I really like this. Though. Yeah. Well and I just love doing the Patreon episodes. I feel like we take a step into our inner circle. You know, mm-hmm. when we do the Patreon episodes, because you guys, okay. whether you like it or not, you're in the inner circle because <laughs> you help us and you support us. And we appreciate you more than words will ever, ever be able to express. Absolutely so, true. Thank you. From the bottom of our hearts. Mm-hmm. So this episode was born from me finding the weirdest freaking story I have ever heard and wanting to bring it to you guys and thinking that uh, maybe Christy could find a weird story too. Well, I did. I don't know if it's as weird as yours, but I did find a weird story. Maybe we'll find out. Mm -hmm. This, so this episode is, uh, I'm going to present a story to Christy and she's going to read it and then she'll present a story to me and I'll read it and we'll see where we go from there. Uh, (laughs) You guys read it too and see what you think. I'm going to start. So my story is about the mystery of the fishing boat Fausto. And I have to say that Hello Lurker here on Reddit did a marvelous job of putting this story together. And I will share a link in the chat room or in the uh, the show info for you if you want to go and read the whole story. But they, uh, I have to give them a huge heads up because they did a lot of work. Everything about this story was in Spanish and <laughs> they translated it into English so that we could uh, experience this story. It's pretty cool. So the fishing boat Fausto, I'm going to share a picture here of it. This is Fausto. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, or El Fausto, the Faust was a fishing mm-hmm. boat. Uh, it was ported in Tazacorte, La Palma Island. This is in the Canary Islands. Okay. And the Canary Islands were a part of Spain. This was in the 1960s. She was 46 feet long and 20 tons. For her category of being a fishing boat, she was pretty big. And so she was frequently used for transportation of fruits, vegetables, diesel, other kinds of goods across the archipelago. I hope I'm saying that correctly. She, so she was big and durable and she had a really good, big, good engine in her. And so she was used a lot for all kinds of things besides fishing. So mm-hmm. in 1968, this guy named Rafael Acosta owned the boat and he had two brothers named Ramon and Iliberto that were the crew on this boat and also their cousins. So it was two brothers and two cousins, Miguel and Viterbo. And these four men were experienced sailors. They had been running this, you know, boats forever. And 
you know, they knew what they were doing. They were sailors and fisher fishermen from the time they were teenagers. And they were all in their late 30s, early 40s at the time. Okay. So, oh, yeah. Got, got this, experience. Yeah. This was their boat. And they would run between different islands, um, you know, and haul people and stuff and fish. And, you know, this is what this boat did. Mm -hmm. So on June 20th, 1968, the Fausto, the Fausto leaves... Uh, Tazacorte, and they go to El Hierro Island, and that's about 50 miles away from La Palma. So they're not a really long ways away, but it's it's about a six, eight hour uh, traverse, depending on the conditions. So she actually carried a cargo of explosives that day that would be used for agricultural purposes to that island. Viterbo was not on the island that day. There was a local festivity going on and he was a part of it. And so he uh, had been able to take a little time off. And so it was just the other three men. So Ramon, Miguel, and Eliberto. Okay. And it took him seven hours to get to Frontera, which was the northern shore of El Hierro. And they unloaded the cargo. And then... There was a man there who was also from Pazacorte who needed to get back there. He was a mechanic and he was doing some work over on this other island, but he had just received word from his wife that their two-month-old daughter was really, really sick and that he needed to come home. So apparently there was a, a boat that he should have been able to get on. Uh, there was a liner that went between islands. Mm -hmm. And he missed it by just a few minutes. No. So somebody said, well, hey, these guys over here are from there. Maybe they would give you a ride. And so he, his name was Julio. So Julio approaches these guys and says, hey, you know, I've got a sick baby. I'm in a predicament. Could you possibly give me a ride? And they said that they would be happy to. He even tried to pay them. And they said, absolutely not. We're going anyway. And we're missing a crew member. We have room. Come on. Come on yeah. board. So this is, this picture is of the sailors. This is Ramon, Miguel, and Eliberto. Okay. And then this is Julio. Oh, with his baby. Yeah. Sweet. So I'll take that one down and we'll keep going here. So... So that's who's on the boat, is, is those four. So they get on the boat, and sometime in the early hours of July 21st, something goes wrong. And this is a crew that has taken this route a billion times. You know, mm -hmm. there's nothing interesting going on. It's, uh, the weather is clear. Some fishermen say that there was a light mist in the early, early morning hours. Mm-hmm. But that was about it. There was nothing that they couldn't have easily, you know, navigated through. It was no big deal. But they should have returned to the island about 10 a.m. And they did not. And their family started to get really worried. And so Raphael, the owner of the boat, he sent another of his boats out to just sail the same path. Just go straight from here to there, just like we anybody would, you know. Mm -hmm. Uh, followed their exact same planned route to hope to find them. Well, they don't see anything. And nothing. 
and no one has seen them. None of the fishermen that would be out in those waters on the El Hierro side or on the La Palma side, like no one has seen a thing. And it's just so weird. So they're thinking maybe they had a mechanical failure, you know, maybe they're, they floated adrift somewhere. Mm -hmm. and so they just wait because they know that uh, these men are capable and they're mechanics and he figures they'll be okay. But still later, by later in the day, they have not heard a word from them, haven't seen a thing. So Raphael finally contacts the authorities and a search and rescue team. So an emergency message is radioed out to all of the ships around the area and to let them know that there is a, a boat, the La Fausto, that's missing at sea. And they even send out a plane to try to find them. They send a, a rescue plane out to fly that entire area to see what he can see. Nothing, nothing at all. So now they're starting to think maybe they sunk. Maybe this is not a, a, a boat adrift. Maybe this boat actually sunk and their families are really, really getting worried. Oh yeah. So on July 25th, now they remember- Did they even know Julio was on the boat? Julio's wife knew he, yes, they knew. Julio's wife okay. knew he was on the boat. Yeah. Okay. So on July 25th, now remember, they went missing on July 21st. A boat called the Duquesa or Duchess was a British reefer ship that came upon a boat that was adrift. And they approached it and it was the, it was the Fausto. So they were 120 miles west of their original route. And so the British vessel confirms that it is them. And Ramon, Eliberto, Miguel, and Julio are there and they're alive. And they're dehydrated and hungry and sunburned and unhappy, but they're there and okay. And so they radio back to La Palma and let them know, hey, we found them. They're okay. So they give them food, they give them water, they offer to tow them back to La Palma. And they say, no, they said, no, we just need enough fuel and food to make it back to La Palma. We'll be fine. That's all we need. And they won't give them any real answer as to what happened or why the hell are you clear out here and What's going on? They, they have no answers. They don't give them anything. They just tell them, just give us fuel and food and we'll come back on our own. So they do. And they said they gave them plenty of food to make it, or uh, fuel to make it back uh, two times over. They gave them lots of food, lots of water, everything they should need. So, you know, they are now 120 miles away, which means that it's going to take them quite a bit longer, somewhere around 12, 14 hours for them to come back. So the families are so relieved and they're so excited and it's, oh my God, they feel, everyone feels like they've dodged a bullet, you know, and mm. this is a, an article about it from the paper, but anyway, it, it's a huge relief. And so there's a big festivity, a big party that's starting on the docks about the time they're supposed to be home and all the family members are there and there's drinking and food and music and you know it's just a huge celebration so an hour comes and goes and they're not there two hours come and go and 
they're not there. Hours and hours and hours pass and no Fausto, no ship. And by the next day, they have to decide that La Fausto is lost at sea again. Mm. So then, two months later, the Anna de Mayo comes across the Fausto. Uh, this is an Italian merchant ship en route, en route to Venezuela. And they spot this boat bobbing along. And it's not a boat that should be in the middle of the ocean. This, this is cross-oceanic sailing now. And this little boat is bobbing along and it should not be there. And there's no one at the wheel. So they decide to board. So the first mate, Luciano Asacone, and a deck sailor both get on the ship. And the ship seems fine. It's in good condition. Uh, there's nothing wrong. There's no violence or damage to the ship. There's just no people on it. There's no logbook in the cabin. There's nothing to explain what happened. The ship looks completely fine. Like, they have no idea why there's not people on this ship. So they open the hatch to head down into the engine room and discover a dead person, a dead man. He's lying face up on the floor, completely naked. He has a transistor radio next to him. He is quite decayed. He's been, he's been dead for a while, but because it's the ocean and there's salt water, he's kind of mummified. Mm -hmm. So they felt like if they could get this boat back to uh, where it belonged, that they would be able to probably identify him. So they start searching around in there for anything else to get a clue of what could have happened or what's going on here. And he finds a notebook that he thought maybe belonged to the dead man. And most of the pages had been torn out. It was one of those little tall ones, you know, with the mm -hmm. loops at the top. Yeah. Like yeah. Steno, steno book. Yeah. So... The, the first few pages have numbers on them and calculations and notes in Spanish. Then there's lots of pages missing. And then on the last page, there is uh, a note written in Spanish and he couldn't quite uh, detail it, but he figured it was some kind of a goodbye letter. So he takes that and the other, only other documents he can find are some insurance documents. And so then they get on the radio and start trying to figure out where this boat belongs. Mm -hmm. And they finally get, make contact with authorities in La Palma. And they tell them that they are going to tow it to Venezuela. And then mm -hmm. they can come and deal with it there. So they hook it up to their boat and have it all set to tow it. And the next day, the authorities in La Palma receive a message from them that the boat uh, sunk in the night. Not the Ana de Mayo, but the Fausto. The Fausto. Yep. It's, they said it sunk during the night, ripping and dragging the towing cable with it. So it's it sunk bow first violently, and they have no idea why. So, of course, the body of the person that was there... Uh, they lost that too. So they go back to Venezuela and they send the paperwork that they could find there 
back to La Palma. So the other things were just paperwork that didn't really mean anything. But the notebook page was written by Julio. And it was a farewell to his wife. He let her know how to proceed with insurances that he had purchased in the mm-hmm. light of his death, how to sell the properties that they owned so that she would have the money she needed. And then he said, don't ever tell their son. They had a five-year-old son. Don't ever tell him all that has happened to me. You know that God wanted this fate for me. I love you. And he had written his name and his address at the bottom of the page. So his wife, Luz, uh, looked at it and said, yeah, definitely this was his writing. And she recognized the notebook. She said he would keep that notebook to keep his uh, notes in of who he'd done work for and how much they owed him. Mm -hmm. But they determined that 28 pages were missing. So they think that there were things written in this detailing what happened to them that got torn out. So, and interestingly, Luz is still alive. And... She still has the letter, and this is what it looks like. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And that's where the story ends. There's no, we don't know what was written on those pages, who pulled them out, and why. Where did the rest of the men end up? They all had families. Mm-hmm. They all had families on shore waiting for them. Uh, why wouldn't they let the Duchess tow them back to La Palma in the first place? And what the hell happened in general? It's such a puzzler. But that's really where the story is. There were a few theories of the day. One is that they were actually trying to run away and go to Venezuela to reach a better life. That seems unlikely because they had family. And actually, they all had good lives. Yeah. Uh, They witnessed something they weren't supposed to see at sea, which was during the Cold War. So people felt very uh, suspicious of what was going on in the water. You know, was this uh, Russia with a submarine or something like that, you know, or USSR or whatever, you know, they, they don't know. Uh, was it, is it possible that, uh, they were trafficking guns or drugs or something and, you know, ended up in trouble because of what they were doing with, uh, some bad guys or were trying to avoid getting in trouble with maritime authorities? Was there something that they were doing that was illegal? That was one thought. Uh, there was a theory at the time that is super specific, but a lot of people believed this that a Nazi fugitive had been hiding out in El Hierro and needed to escape to South America and had taken over their ship. I don't know. Actually, apparently at the time, a lot of people believed something along those lines. So, but that's where the story goes cold. There's nothing else. So do your best. What do you think? You know, I feel like they experienced some kind of a, they, out on the ocean, there are these very specific extreme weather events that we can't explain and that don't happen like to everyone. And 
this may be unpopular, but I feel like they were actually all dead when they found them the first time and that they were not interacting with them in the physical. Uh -huh. I kind of feel like something really fast happened to them that killed them. All but Julio mm -hmm. killed the other three guys almost instantly. I feel like it was something that had to do with like sucking the oxygen out of the air or all of a sudden they just couldn't breathe. He was below deck and so he lived longer. But that when they actually found the boat that time, they they didn't know they were dead, but they were dead. Their bodies were gone, except for Julio's because his was in the in mm -hmm. the bottom. But I don't feel like that was actually them. And that's why the, the whole thing seems so dismissive mm -hmm. is because they weren't communicating with him as the living. Well, they weren't communicating with their radio. I feel like they actually got sucked off the boat. Like something just happened. It Julio suffocated had... them. Oh, mm -hmm. oh no. The, Julio had the radio. Right, right. Radio. No, not Julio. Julio oh. was un, was below deck when this happened. Yeah. So the other three were dead. Okay. And then he died of lack of water. Yeah. Dehydration. Yeah. But I don't think that any of them were alive when they found them. When they found them the first time, I think they were all dead. Uh -huh. Interesting. And the other three okay. men's bodies were actually sucked off the boat. There's just something about air and wind and some really violent thing that happened that was just like an instantaneous thing. Wow. Okay. As far as it sinking after the other boat uh, found it, that was sabotage. There was there were people on that on the boat that found it that were very superstitious and were not comfortable at all with them towing this boat and the dead man and they didn't know what was wrong, and they they sunk it themselves. Like okay. not not the officials on the boat, but there were other people but on the some boat. Of the, that went, the deck hands or something. We don't want anything to do with this. We're going to end up with an an evil spirit or something, and they sunk it. Okay. Um, I feel like that was very much intentional. Uh-huh. That awful. makes sense to me. Yeah. But it was this really, really violent weather event that just was very, it happened really fast. Mm -hmm. And then here's Julio that it's not even his boat. He's not even a sailor, you know, like he's just stuck. And he, um, he did not, uh, he didn't live because he didn't have any water. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, wow. What a deal. Can you imagine? I was so sad for them partying on the shore, so excited and happy and Thank relieved that they coming. were okay yeah. and then not coming. No, yeah. no, it's, it, yeah. It's they were and then not knowing clear until October. That, yeah. That boat was found again. Yeah. That's a hell of a story. Yikes. Yeah. Well, thank you. Yeah. Whew. That is a weird story. Yeah. I told you we were going weird. All right. You ready for my weird story? <laughs> yeah, let's do it. So this is not so much a read as it is a please correct all of this really um, incorrect uh, metaphysical and spiritual stuff. I'll Ooh. just say that. Okay. So this is the Hammersmith ghost murder case. Okay. So this happened in 1804. And it actually set a legal precedent in the UK 
about self-defense. Oh. Because the question came down to, could you be held liable for your actions if you killed somebody when you thought they were someone else? Uh-huh. In this case, when you thought they were a ghost. Ooh. So in Hammersmith, which is an area of London, near the end of 1803, there were people who kept saying that they had seen or been attacked by a ghost. Mm-hmm. The locals in the area believed that the ghost was the spirit of a man who had taken his own life. Mm -hmm. And so um, they started having these patrols out in the community. Mm -hmm. The police and other men were patrolling. Mm -hmm. So on the 3rd of January, 1904, an excise officer named Francis Smith was out patrolling. Mm-hmm. And so, so they think that, okay, let me just, let me just keep going here. I keep messing, messing this up. <laughs> um, so people thought that the ghost was haunting this community because they had been buried, their body had been buried in consecrated ground. And so this suicide victim's soul was not at rest because they're not allowed to be buried in consecrated ground if they take their own life. Okay. So, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I know there's a lot of this stuff that I'm like, no, all wrong, all wrong, but it's a very interesting story, like how this played out. So the apparition that they're seeing is this really tall man dressed all in white. Um, but sometimes they also see it wearing horns and large glass eyes. Hmm. I don't know. Scary. You know, people are scared. They think that this is happening. Um, so there were two women and one was an elderly woman. Another one was pregnant. And they said they'd been seized by the ghost on various occasions while walking by the churchyard. They were so scared they died of shock a few days afterward. Wow. Yeah. Um, Another guy, he was a servant. His name was Thomas Groom. He testified that he was walking through the churchyard with someone else one night about 9 p.m. And something rose from behind a tombstone and grabbed him by the throat. His friend turned around to see what was happening. Um, And, oh, weird. Yeah. So the ghost says he gave him, like he twisted and looked at him. And then he saw nothing. And then he pushed, he pushed with his fist, like he tried to hit it. And he kind of felt something soft when he hit the ghost. Like maybe it was like in the physical. Uh So people were really freaked out Uh and that various people had chased it. One question I have for you is if this was actually a real person doing these things. Some of it was. Yeah. I feel like some of it, some people really did see an apparition. Um, I think then you had someone who, uh, yeah, was lurking around being creepy because uh, it was working. They were getting a rise yes. out of people. And that's I feel like fine. in that case, that's what that was. That was a real person. That was yeah. just a, 
being an asshole. Yeah. Yeah. That was my sense of it is that this was a real person doing this. Mm -hmm. So people are just completely freaked out. So yeah. they have this guy, William Girdler, he's the night watchman and he saw the ghost one night and chased it. They say that it threw off its shroud and managed to escape. Seems like oh, a person. Not the shroud. So, yeah. So they formed these citizen patrols, basically, is mm -hmm. what happened. So on making his rounds, uh, William Girdler, who was the night watchman in the area, was patrolling with Francis Smith. Okay. And Smith had a shotgun, and he said he was looking for the ghost. Mm -hmm. And Girdler said he was going to join Smith after he had called the hour. Remember this? 11 p.m. and all's well. That was this guy's job, okay? He was the night watchman, and he had to call every hour. I so remember he said, that with all my heart. Because you Robin what? Hood... Yes, Robin Hood, exactly. Disney's Same Robin thing. Hood is my favorite Disney movie of all time. There will never be anything better. I know, they me too. That, and that's how I know the yep. end. Me too. <laughs> the end, yeah. So basically, Girdler tells Smith, okay, I'm going to come after you. I'm going to come with you. As soon as I call the hour at 11, um, I'll meet up with you and let's go after this ghost. So here goes... Um, Francis Smith with his shotgun thinking he's, you know, out there mm -hmm. really doing something. And he comes across a man named Thomas Millwood. So Millwood was a bricklayer. And mm -hmm. apparently at the time, bricklayers were all white. They wore mm -hmm. linen trousers and a waistcoat and an apron and everything was white. Mm -hmm. I don't know why. Kind of like painters a lot of times wear yeah. white. So he's just walking home from a visit with his family um and along comes um self-appointed officer smith with his That's shotgun crazy idiot yeah yeah and he's you know out to get the ghost for sure and so smith runs up to millwood and yells damn you who are you and what are you damn you i'll shoot you and then he didn't actually give him a chance to answer he just shot him in the face and killed him oh my god yeah so everyone comes running of course because people hear this you know and they everyone thinks that you know smith thinks he's gotten the ghost and you know he's actually murdered an actual real person oh so they take smith into custody because you know they killed he killed a guy yeah and um you know, they did confirm that he was, in fact, a uh, live human person who had been murdered. Mm -hmm. So Francis Smith goes on trial for murder. And um, I guess Thomas Millwood's wife had warned him that he should be wearing a coat over his white clothes because he was going to get mistaken for the ghost. Mm. And so here's some of her testimony at the Old Bailey trial. It's further says proof on that Saturday, you should always listen to your wife. Always, right? Oh. She said, on Saturday evening, he and I were at home, for he lived with me. Yeah, they were married. He said he had, 
frightened two ladies and a gentleman who were coming along the terrace in a carriage. For that, the man said, he dared to say, there goes the ghost. Oh. And he said he was no more a ghost than he, than he was and asked him using a bad word, did he want a punch of the head? <laughs> I begged of him to change his dress, Thomas, says I, as there is a piece of work about the ghost and your clothes look white. Pray do put on your greatcoat that you may not run any danger. Sadly, he did not listen to his wife. Come on, man. Yeah. So then apparently... Uh, Millwood's sister kind of witnessed what had happened mm -hmm. and she said that he she heard Smith call to her brother to stop or he would shoot but then Smith fired the gun immediately like he didn't actually give him a chance to stop or say who he was right um, so they determined ah so Lord Chief Baron Sir Archibald MacDonald who was the judge well, advised well. the jury that malice was not required of murder nearly an intent merely an intent to kill because basically you know smith is saying it was a case of mistaken identity so lord chief baron macdonald also said i should betray my duty and injure the public security if i did not persist in asserting that this is a clear case of murder if the facts be proved to your satisfaction, all killing, whatever amounts to murder, unless justified by law or in self-defense. In some cases of involuntary acts or some sufficiently violent provocation, it becomes manslaughter. Not one of these circumstances occurs here. Yeah. Yeah. No, you just had a scared idiot that wanted to be a hero. Yeah, he really did. Also, and Shoot a ghost? I know the whole thing was like you're gonna shoot well because the one guy had punched the ghost and so now they are thinking maybe the ghost yes. can be shot you know yes um so the judge the one of the last things he said to the jury was that previously good character of the accused meant nothing in this case uh, and he directed the jury to find the accused guilty of murder if they believe the facts presented by the witness. So they only considered for an hour and they returned the verdict of manslaughter. So basically they had the choice uh -huh. to say it was murder or manslaughter. They came back with manslaughter. <laughs> and McDonald, the judge, informed the court that they could not receive such a verdict and they must either find him guilty of murder or acquit him. Oh, rolling the and dice. And he said that the fact that Smith believed that he was a ghost was irrelevant. Which I think is, wow. Wow. So then the jury came back with guilty because they didn't want to let him, you know, get off. So, of yeah. course, he was sentenced to death. And they he also, the judge said he was reporting this case to the king. Uh, to let the king decide if he would, um, oh my gosh, if he would, his sentence would either be hanging and dissection what? or could be commuted to hard labor. Yeah. Holy hell. Yeah. 
And so, what did the king say? Well, I think he got hard labor. Mm. He got hard labor. And then this question, I guess, has been a, a big question in UK law for like 180 years about how do we deal with this issue of mis mistaken identity? And so it's actually really um, affected the way they look at self-defense and the mm -hmm. way that they look at, you know, if someone was killed mistakenly or, and stuff. So it's kind of interesting because this case still gets discussed in um, UK law even now. Uh -huh. So a few questions. Yeah. Uh, for you. First of all, will you please clear up um, what they had to say about the man who took his own life needing to be buried in uh, consecrated ground and all that dumb stuff? Yes, my God. This has been going on for a very long time, hasn't it? Yeah. As a professional medium that has worked with many, many, many suicide victim families over the years, people that kill themselves go to the same place everybody else does. Right. They're not in trouble. They So many things are said that they can't go to heaven, that they can't, you know, that they'll have to wander the earth for a hundred years, that they're going to mm -hmm. be in deep shit when they get to the other side. None of that is true. No. They jumped out of the kitchen. It got too hot. It It's awful. It's sad. I'm not endorsing suicide. But this idea that people who commit suicide are now separated in every way from their families because they're just so bad is absolutely completely wrong. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. And yeah, she's going to be buried with the very same dignity uh, and respect as anybody else. Right. You know, it, it makes me so mad. You see somebody die from cancer and everybody goes, Oh my God, they were, he was such a great guy. And, they do all mm -hmm. the celebrations for his life and they bury him and there's so much respect. And then his neighbor who has been depressed for 30 years kills himself and we lie about it. We brush it under the rug. We have these fake funerals that we say a lot of things that aren't true or we don't have a funeral at all. You know, they, there's a, people do the weirdest stuff around suicide and it's so disrespectful yeah. to that person and the actual life they had. Yeah, yeah exactly. That's enough on that. I could do that for an hour, but you I know don't me that. too. I was like, oh, <laughs> no. Um, so you kind of answered my other question, which was, was the Hammersmith ghost actually just a person taking advantage of the fact that everyone was freaked out? Yes and no. I do think that there had been an entity that had been seen. I think there'd been an entity that had been seen in the town before. Like it wasn't mm -hmm. new to have some ghostly stuff. I don't think that was completely new. Yeah. But was there somebody dressing in white, wandering around, scaring the shit out of people? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. without a doubt. Did and the that old dust woman and the, the pregnant cemetery, woman really? Oh, what? That dust up in the cemetery, you know, where he yeah. got punched. That was a person that right. got punched. You can't punch a ghost. You can't. Mm -hmm. Are you sure can't shoot a ghost? Spirit. Stupid. Yeah. What about the old woman and the pregnant woman who died of fright? Do you think no. that's what really happened? No, no, no. No, I don't. I feel like they died of some kind of food poisoning. Oh. Or something along those lines. Like they were. I Just think one of those false equivalencies. False equivalency. I feel like they were exposed to the same thing, whatever it was, and they both died. And 
it was easy to say, well, they died of fright. They didn't die of fright. I think they both got sick. Mm -hmm. I feel like that happened. They were very scared. Uh, right after that, they ended up both ill because of something that they'd eaten. I really feel like it was a foodborne illness. Mm -hmm. They ate the same thing and they both got sick anyway. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Well, I found the Hammersmith ghost very interesting and I'd never Me considered too. the uh, idea of if your defense for murdering someone would be, I thought they were a ghost. Um, turns out you still get in trouble for that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, especially when you uh, demand to know who they are and then immediately pump full of lead, you, you really yeah. should wait and, you know, let them respond. You're kind of a crappy ghost hunter in that case. I'm just saying. Mm -hmm. This guy was just a big jackass. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yes, he was. Well, there's mine. There's my the right. story for you. Well, there you have it. Two very weird cases. <laughs> that was our goal. We wanted to be weird, and I think we've accomplished it. So thank you guys so much for being our patrons. We appreciate you beyond measure, and we'll be back next month with two more cases for you So, and all of our other spiel, right? So yeah. it's all happening right here at uh, True Crime Paranormal. So Take care. This has been yet another production of True Crime Paranormal with the Psychic Sisters. Thanks, guys.